0: Right as you can see, uh, our normal uh, teaching pastor is not here. In fact, he will not be here for most of the rest of the summer. Um, he's on sabbatical, our pastor Nam, and so we would ask that you would uh, pray for him as he enters into this time of sabbatical. It's a time to rest and be refreshed in the things of the Lord And we pray that the Lord would profit his time uh, as he spends more uh, intense time just to be able to walk with uh, the Lord and uh, meditate upon his word, to visit some other ministries that he's unable to do, and hopefully uh, gain some insight into what other churches are doing. And uh, overall, just to benefit uh, this ministry as well and so please pray for that time as he uh transitions into that you can also pray for our time at the um, southern baptist convention this week Uh, all the staff pastors will be attending that that convention and uh we look forward to that time and to see uh you know as some of you or many of you may know uh, a lot of the issues that are going on Uh, in the the convention, and so pray that it would be a profitable time of fellowship and and, uh, learning what's going to go on in terms of the Southern Baptist denomination and how this denomination will move forward. So please pray for that time. I I believe it's uh, over 8,000 messengers uh, that will be uh, down in Anaheim this week. And so uh, we look forward to that time of uh, being there uh, together with uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord. All right, we're going to get to our text here this morning. We are in James, and in fact, for the next four weeks, we will continue our our study through James. And this morning, we continue in the thought of what is faith? What is real living faith? Faith. And uh, James here is off to a section where he's going to make some arguments through a a literary device called the diatribe. He has someone object or make certain assertions that he will answer, and he will continue that here in this section, arguing for that faith ultimately will produce works that it will produce fruit Um, let's do this i'm gonna read our our section i'm going to pray and then we're going to get started okay so james chapter 2 verses 18 to 26 but someone will say you have faith and i have works show me your faith apart from your works For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we go to his word this morning. And Lord, we do pray for your grace at this time as we go to your word and help our minds and hearts to be open to receive it that ultimately we may be changed by it <clears throat> and that we may be able to live by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that are outside, uh, you are not privy to the slide that is before the rest of the congregation this morning. And as the congregation looks at the slide they wonder what is this slide it is a slide of a watch but it is no ordinary watch it is the most expensive watch in the known world it is a (laughs) patek philippe and i believe that is the correct pronunciation in fact nine of the ten most expensive watches to be sold in auction are Patek Philippe's. The other one is a Rolex. Okay? I've heard of that one before. Before this, I, I, I did not even know what a Patek Philippe was. Okay? But it is the most expensive watch ever to be auctioned off. Okay, And... Um, Now, why do I show this watch to you? So that you can be envious and, you know, be tempted and want to buy one? No, okay, no. (laughs) I don't think any of us... Yes, I don't think any of us, (laughs) at least in this congregation, would be able to afford it. (laughs) 31 million, I believe, was sold at auction, okay? Okay. But uh, again, why? why? Why are we uh, shown this watch? Well, uh, it, it's, it's kind of vibing off of uh, last week or two weeks ago when we talked about real and, and fake uh, merchandise, okay? Is that there is a reason why this watch is so expensive, okay? First of all... Uh, just the name of it but also in terms of its complications okay and this is something that i found out that you know uh, the comp- one of the factors in making a watch expensive is this idea of complications it's these mechanisms with that are found within the watch okay so you know as a preacher i get to find out a lot about different things as as you try to figure out what this world is about But, you know, before this, I had no idea what made a watch expensive. But these are one of the factors. And the difference between a real or genuine uh, Patek Philippe and a fake one are the inside mechanisms. Okay. And all to show and illustrate that there is nothing like the real thing, baby. Okay, nothing like the real thing. You remember those commercials, uh, Burger King commercials? It's a different age, okay. Burger King used to uh, show this commercial and with a song, Nothing Like the Real Thing Chicken Tenders! In, in, in uh, comparison with Chicken Nuggets, saying that chicken tenders are, are real s- chicken strips. Whereas chicken nuggets are like this, uh, you know, processed thing, right? It's not really real, okay? But all to say again that uh, there is nothing like the genuine article, right? There is nothing compared to this watch. And there are factors within this watch that make it known that it is real, And the basic premise and point is the same for faith, okay? Is that real, genuine faith can be known and revealed to be real by works. This is James' main argument, okay? Just like the watch can be known by its complications and and these factors that make it known to be genuine, Real faith in Jesus Christ can be known. It is not merely just a mystical experience, and we'll talk about the different kinds of faith that uh, people have these days, or even the argument that was made right before in this context that you can just say that you believe, that you just say, be well, and go in peace, and say that that is genuine faith? No, James is arguing that it, is, it goes beyond mere words. It goes beyond mere ideas. That it actually manifests itself in works. And so in this extended section here, he's going to break that down for us so that we understand there is a vital connection between faith and deeds a vital connection between faith and works and once we understand that we need to before the Lord as a congregation going before his word understand it and ultimately fulfill it that we cannot say that we have faith or merely say that we have faith and think that we are in the Lord, that we are in Christ, that we are truly one of His children. There are identifiers here that James will show us that really reveal whether we are one of His. The first idea here, And he's extending this argument, as we said, in verse 18, point number one. Real faith produces works argued. You see the adversative here, but someone will say, and he's using this diatribe literary device, you have faith and I have works. James is presenting to us this opponent that is saying some people just have faith. Some other people have works. Okay? Can't those two things be real and not have to exist in the same person? And this is his argument. And by the way, that statement that i just made came from literally literally two to three days of effort of trying to understand this text in fact this verse is the most difficult verse to uh, interpret in the entirety of james and it is because quotation marks are not in the original greek okay and you have uh, a lot of difficulties within this section um, in this one verse, okay, in these actually two, two to three verses. Some believe that James is interjecting a third party here, okay, that it is some other ally. Uh, some other people believe that uh, you're just reading it uh, straight through as it's interpreted here and others as myself okay um, are making an argument that he's uh, continuing with the original objector found in uh starting in verse 14 okay now all to say that the the bottom line um thought or idea that we want to take away from it is that He's trying to make an argument that faith produces works, okay? And so that's the end goal or game that we're trying to get to. But this verse, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult to uh, um, get to sometimes. But in terms of the way that uh, um, I've come to understand it is to say that it is a general you, Okay, that this uh, opponent is re- referencing the works and faith to right. So the idea is uh, there's a generally we can make an argument that um, there are those that will say we have faith, and there are generally those that will say that I have works. Okay, so that's the idea here that there is this idea that this opponent is is proffering up. Uh, in regards to James is that can't we have this mutually uh, exclusive idea that those, you can say that those that have faith and those that have works, okay? And here is James's response. And this is what I mean by faith pro- uh, produces works argued. In this very next uh, uh, section here, he says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith By my works. And so James argues okay, if that is what you are offering, then show me your faith or demonstrate your faith, or you can also translate it prove to me your faith apart from works. And he's countering I will show you, I will demonstrate. I will prove to you my faith by my works, okay? And what is the response of the opponent? He has none, okay? He has none because he only is good as the words coming out of his mouth, okay? That the only thing that he can offer is, oh, I have faith, Whereas James is going to show his opponent that the end effect of my love relationship with Jesus Christ will manifest in a faith that actually has fruit. He makes it perfectly clear that he's ready for the challenge of this opponent. That he can demonstrate by his life that it is mere, more than a mere profession, a mystical experience. It is bared out in his very life. We showed this uh, slide last time, okay? And I think it will profit us as we as we move forward, because this idea will come back up again a little bit later. But I wanted to show that uh, Paul and James have differing perspectives, especially as we go to this word justified later on, okay? And how they understand and use it within their own context. And so what, what Paul is trying to do here in Romans is that it's not earned. Salvation is not earned, Okay, it's completely the work of God himself. And his emphasis is that he wants to know that I'm saved. Okay, how to know that we are saved. Whereas James is, has a different emphasis and perspective that he wants to show real faith produces good works. And we'll get into a couple of passages here, okay ephesians chapter 2 it would benefit you to go there okay ephesians chapter 2 this is a very famous verse for by grace you have been saved through faith this is not your own doing as the gift of god not as a result of works, so that no one may boast and if we stop there we're 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 with we're confronted with the idea of paul That it is not by anything that we can ever do that we're saved. But look what I've highlighted here. And what many people often overlook and forget is verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? So when God saves us, it's not just kumbaya at church okay but it is a there's a manifestation to that that god saves you for a purpose and that purpose is for good works okay so both paul and james are on the same uh, idea there's two more verses okay Earlier in Ephesians chapter one, this great Dexology or this great blessing from paul to to God, in fact, the tri- Triune God in regards to the salvation it's one long sentence in the Greek from verses one through fourteen, and he begins here in verse three: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed him in Christ." us in Christ with every spiritual of blessing in the heavenly places. And catch this in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Look at this purpose clause that we should be holy and blameless before him. There's a purpose to why God has chosen us. You can take that idea of being uh, holy and blameless either for justification or sanctification. But it doesn't, doesn't really flow or make sense unless it's sanctification, okay? So here we see Paul combining justification and sanctification that his choosing, his saving us leads to a holy life, a transformed life. There's a new affection within the saved person that they are now going to desire holiness and blamelessness before him. Now, if that doesn't convince us, first Timothy one nine. Okay, first Timothy one nine. <clears throat> Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the 1st Timothy, oh, 2nd Timothy. Wow. I I was just about to spout a heresy there. Okay. Thank you, Essence, for catching that. Okay. 2nd Timothy one, nine. Who saved I don't even know look, it's already up there. OK. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Again, affirming that again, that salvation is ultimately from God, but that He called us to a holy calling. That's the phrase that we want to pay attention to there. That God's effectual calling, His saving us, is a calling unto something. And that is a holy calling. If, you, if we don't know the purpose of why God saved us, that it is for His glory, of course, but that, that entails separating ourselves that's what holiness is okay it's a consecration it's a separating of ourselves our thoughts our lives unto our God and as you know as you guys have graduated and you're wondering what is the next stage of your life and wondering what is my purpose in this world okay we always have a purpose and we find it here in Scripture. That holy calling, that purpose of being God's child, is it's it comes. Um, what is it? Born in, or it's already uh, comes with the whole package. Okay, is, is what I'm, sa- I'm trying to say is, once we become a Christian there is always a responsibility and privilege to be a Christian. And that includes understanding our purpose. And that purpose is to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. To daily consecrate ourselves and be, live a holy life that continues to change and become more like our Savior. If you are just being tossed back and forth and just don't understand the meaning of life and what your purpose is in life, this is it. This is God's purpose for you. And this is just something that we just have to get on the board on the same page with is that we consider living a holy life a lifelong, a lifetime purpose, goal for our lives. It should transform the way that we think about how we go about our days. It should really affect the way that we look at life. And how can I fulfill this intended purpose of God in being holy as I navigate through it This is James' argument Okay That there is a manifestation Of our faith In our very lives Let's go Let's move forward Secondly Real faith Real genuine faith A particular Philippe kind of faith Is more than Correct theology You see here in verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This is one of the most intimidating verses in all of Scripture, along with uh, Matthew chapter 7, where he talks about, Lord, Lord, did I do all these things in your name? Depart from me, I never knew you. Because we can find ourselves, we can find many of the people that are around us that hold to this kind of faith. So James furthers the argument to his opponent, you believe that God is one. Okay? And he's pointing out uh, this truth in what's called the Shema. And you can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay? In fact, I'll read it for you says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is an idea that every Orthodox Jew knows by heart. This is one of the foundations of Judaism. The idea that God is one. And it's pointing to not only the triuneness of it, but that mostly that he is unique. There is no other like him. That he is the one and only God. So it is a confession of monotheism, for sure. But also in the greatness and uniqueness of who Yahweh is, of who God is. And that no other god, no other gods can be compared to him. And so in the mind of the Jew, this is something that needs to be understood, proclaimed, and believed. And James is arguing, that's good. That's right. Nothing wrong with that. You do well. Nothing wrong with that theology. I affirm it. Your idea of God is correct. Your doctrine is right. You are not heretical. Look at his argument. But if that's all it is, okay, it's not enough. Even the demons believe, and look, I found this on the internet, just wanted to kind of give you guys a visual, okay, alright? I don't know if that's an actual demon, okay, alright, but it looks like it, okay? Demons have access to the other side of life we, that we don't as we live and breathe here on earth. They know who God for who he is. As Satan went through before the throne with Job, as we've been going through, he knows who God is about. There's no mystery in terms of who, who God is for them. They know it. And in fact, look at their response. It's appropriate and right. For them to shudder. On two levels. One, because He's God. At any moment, just by His glory, He can wipe them out. That fact alone should make any of us shudder. And because the demons understand clearly and know who God for who He is, they have the appropriate and right response. And secondly, because they know that they can never have faith. They're already in a fixed position and they know what the end game is. So for those two reasons, I think that's why they shudder. They understand God for who he is and they tremble other versions say tremble shudder James is making the argument look it's not enough to have correct theology correct doctrine you can be a four and a half point 5 point whatever point calvinist you want to be but really if if that's all it is if if it is your passion To know God's word, God bless you, okay? And to know who he is, God bless you. But if it begins and ends there, if it's an exercise in in attaining knowledge and correctness without really soaking into your very life and manifesting in the way that you live, it's not enough. And that is James' argument here. That you, along with the demons, your only appropriate reaction to this kind of correct, cold, doctrine only theology, your only reaction should be trembling. It should only be fear. Verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? He's saying, do you want to recognize, do you want to acknowledge that what I've been saying is true? Okay. You foolish person, so he's going to heap it on, okay? You can't have just a speaking-only faith. You can't have only an intellectual good-doctrine faith. You foolish person. And when Scripture uses foolish person, um, it's, it's an indictment. Okay? It's not just a light, lighthearted, you know, when we say you fool. Or when Mr. T says, you fool. Or I pity the fool. It's kind of a light-hearted, like, you know, oh, you silly. Or you're not as uh, all there as you should be. Right? Okay. But when Scripture uses fool, it's an indictment. Often an indictment of godlessness. It's an indictment that you are morally corrupt. So it's not just the lighthearted, you're stupid, or you're not all there, but it's, you don't know, you don't understand God. And you don't live appropriate to that. You live, in fact, contrary to the way that God desires to live. That is a fool. You foolish person. That faith apart from works is useless that faith there's an alternate reading here by the way it can also say it's dead okay some manuscripts have useless some manuscripts have dead in either case it's getting to the same thing it's empty it's worthless it's dead it's useless faith apart from works is useless it's dead uses it in 14 17 now here in 20. Okay, it's dead. Comes to nothing. Whether it's an intellectual or moral failing, you fool, if you don't understand this idea, okay? If in fact you're going to continue to say that you can just have faith apart from Works, it's worthless. So only fools don't recognize faith apart from works is worthless. Question we ask ourselves are we that fool? As we stand before the Lord today, is there this wrong thinking that has infiltrated our hearts? that you know oh, you know, God, God is so gracious he'll cover all my sins and that's true okay. but, you know I don't really have to do much just have to kind of stay in my lane live a kind of me centered life keep to myself keep to my kids you know I don't hurt anybody Just go about my business, doing my work, getting paid, go on vacation. Faith is more than a creed, a thought, a correct doctrine, saying that we believe. It is a transformative faith that is genuine, that transforms our very thoughts and our very lives. It is a life that is ultimately going to be productive, not worthless, as the text says here, as this verse says here. I mean, do we desire to lead a profitable, productive life for the Lord? Or are we content to lead a useless, dead faith kind of life? If you are content to just kind of, you know, go through life. You know, if I have fruit, if I don't, not a big deal. It could be that you end up with a worthless life. So as we go before the Lord, that is something that we always have to consider. Lord, am I living a life that is productive for you. Okay. Again, not that that saves me, but that manifests, that shows that I really have faith in you. All right, we have to What why is that there? Why did I put that there? It's a car without an engine. You see there? Okay car without an engine it's useless it's not much better than a paperweight right and that's the idea there right is that look we have an engine we can use and we can use it to serve the Lord are we all nice and prettied up there's nothing Nothing of substance inside. All right, two illustrations. All right, two illustrations, or examples of real faith, and uh, James brings up uh, Abraham and Rahab. Okay, these are examples of real faith. <clears throat> Was not Abraham, verse 21 through 24, we're going to go through that, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, if you were to read that and say, and this is where we're going to talk about this word justified. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? And this verse has actually caused Trouble for uh, men like Martin Luther. Roman Catholics use this verse as a proof text that, oh, it's not just saved by grace, but there's works involved in our salvation. Okay? So th- this is a word that we have to understand um, and make sure that uh, we understand what James is saying here. In the New Testament, justified has two distinct meanings. The first is what we're normally accustomed to hearing in regards to this word justified, is to declare righteous. And this is the, the way that Paul uses it many times in Romans. Okay, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Okay, And so when Paul uses it in that context he's using it as a forensic to be declared righteous so when paul uses it it's a believer's justification before god the father referring to and god referring to them as being not guilty because of the work of his son jesus christ so the idea is that it's an imputed righteousness and thus, we are declared righteous, justified by those texts. Romans 3, Galatians chapter 2. Okay. So, is it the fact that Abraham was justified in that sense? Can it? No, it can't. Okay, because in Genesis chapter 15, God declares Abraham justified before this act. All the way later in Genesis chapter 22. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? So it can't be true that Abraham was justified in that sense. So in what way is James using this word justified? Justify can also mean to demonstrate to be right or it is a proof of righteousness. It can also mean to vindicate. So it is a vindication of something. It's a proof of something. So what James is teaching here is that Abraham's righteousness was demonstrated itself to be authentic By his act of obedience. That his act of obedience was a demonstration of that declared righteousness before in Genesis chapter 15. So when God, when Abraham trusted God as God made his covenant with him and he said, I'm going to make you a father of all nations, of many nations and abraham trusted in that covenant god declared him justified and later on as he's navigating through life god tests him to see if that declaration was true i got another little okay just for your edification for those that are in here okay it was in the act of commanding Abraham to take his own son. And we see in Hebrews 11 that in the mind of Abraham, he thought, okay, I'm all in. There was no hesitation because in the mind of Abraham, he thought, oh, okay, maybe God will bring him back to life. So there was a commitment to follow through. All to say that it was not a kind of a swoon theory or a fake kind of, because God knows the heart. And in that knowledge, God withholds the blade from Abraham, from taking his son's life. we see that God himself with Abraham took him to the most extreme place to demonstrate his faith, commitment, trust in him. This, I mean, can you imagine taking the life of your own child or being told to do that? I mean, it's crazy. Look at James's commentary in, in regards to, to that process. In verse 22, he's pointing out here, you see that faith was active along with his works. There's a, there's a synergy here. That faith and works are coming together in this act of obedience. And faith was completed by his works. It's perfected by his works. It revealed and demonstrated his works. So there's an incompleteness if we're not able to fully follow through in faith the things God calls us to. Our faith is the engine that drives the fruit, it is our belief in God. And the workings, the outer workings of it in our lives, okay, it comes or ought to come from faith. If it isn't, it's just to our own glory. If it isn't, it is empty. If it isn't, it isn't complete. It isn't perfected. It is when we are moved by our trust in God that the works of our lives demonstrate it is for Him. If we are doing it for our own reasons, our own glory, our own willpower, our own strength, it will ultimately not be for Him. Verse 23, And the Scriptures was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see that? So maybe James should have just put it right in the front. Okay. It's a direct quotation from Genesis 15.6, recording Abraham's salvation experience. As God takes Abraham out to the night sky, shows them. Can you number these? He can't. But all we see in that interaction is that Abraham believed God. And it, this serves as the foundation for verse 21. Verse 23 serves as the foundation for his act in verse 21. So as we take God at his word, and as God declares us righteous, there's a change within us, and that change manifests itself to be able to do works for him, even if it costs us everything this is the example that is setting before us in regards to Abraham's example that no matter what it costs us that we should be and able to do it this is the example set before us in Abraham that it is not merely the everyday things that we can do for God which we can of course But the things that we can't even think about or even wouldn't consider. But that could potentially cost us everything if God calls us to it and we do it in faith. We can do it. This allows us to dream big. This allows us to dream desire and want to do things that we could never have just thought about on our own this is an amazing grace faith you know i can't change oh i can't do that you know i've been living with this kind of sin for 20 years i've asked the lord but i can't change these verses ought to give us hope that when we believe in what God has done, His declared righteousness for us, that we can, by His enabling grace, do amazing, miraculous, often the most difficult things in our lives. That's what it did for Abraham. That he was willing to to take away the very thing God promised him. It is only this kind of faith that can move mountains. So, church, I, you know, my my hope, my desire is, as we look at this example, that we're moved. We're moved to do miraculous, great, amazing things for the Lord. Verse twenty four. We need to move here. You see that a person is justified by works. Again, demonstrate you're vindicated by works and not faith alone. Okay. That our proof, our deeds of righteousness are shown. It vindicates us. It proves that we have Faith. It proved that Abraham had faith. Secondly, okay. Rahab's faith. Okay, this is the same in the same way. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? And you see, when when uh, Jericho was under siege and that they saw all that was gonna that had been happening to the previous cities. And Rahab, in hearing those reports, realizes that's the true God. This other God that we've been worshiping, I mean, he's got nothing on, on this God that's been conquering all these cities. And so as, as she receives or hosts or welcomes these two spies, these two messengers, she in faith allows them to escape they sent them out by another way again another act of faith and if you're interested and you want to ask me about all the Rahab stuff we can talk after because there's a lot to say about it okay was it a lie is God condoning a lie okay um for now we'll just say that it was her faith right it was her faith in the process of uh receiving these messengers that scripture here is commending and again it was a manifestation of the inward reality that she had already committed to and and her manifestation is that she trusted the lord and uh hid the messengers now with these two examples why Abraham <laughs> why Rahab okay the, the text doesn't specifically say but we can infer we, you have the, the father of all nations and on the other hand you have a prostitute you have a, a spectrum here and maybe James is showing here that you have this paragon of faith and you have this prostitute and yet, they both are able to manifest, demonstrate real faith in their lives, born out of a trust in God. So, no matter what your station, you can do this. There might be an element of of uh, of um, of the the prior context of. Uh, meeting the needs of those that are lowly, okay, that are marginalized, even going further up uh, in chapter 1, right, the widow and the orphan, okay, that Rahab would be included in that, okay. But all to say that we see with these two examples, no matter what your station is, as long as there is an entrusting of yourself, you can manifest fruit in your life. Lastly, verse 26. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from the works is dead. And just recapitulating, uh, the, he's bringing back this entire argument. Okay? The body apart from the Spirit is dead. Here's an example. That's a prop. It's not a real corpse, okay? You're lifeless. And if you just say you have faith, if you just say that you have correct doctrine, it's dead. It's worthless. It's useless. He's vividly reminding his readers that It's it's not enough just to say or just to have the correct doctrine. It must manifest itself in works, in deeds for the Lord. How should we end here? I want to end here very quickly. Okay. There are four categories of faith, okay, that uh, Paul Little outlines in his book, um, How to Share Your Faith, okay, and uh, I thought it would be very profitable for us to go through very quickly. It's indoctrination faith. These are people that making a a personal commitment to Christ and go through their motions. They sing through the right hymns. They have been well-schooled, right, and they uh, they, they absorb everything that they hear but that's all they've got okay. they can give you correct doctrine but uh, is that real faith the answer would be no conformity faith it's a, it's a strong Christian uh, uh, surrounding kind of faith you go and do all the the accoutrements of Christianity you come on church and things like that and uh, you sing the songs is this real faith? No. Mystical faith. Okay, it's a kind of faith where they've had some kind of mystical experience and you know they consider that conversion, but they have no biblical substance to the, their faith. Is that real faith? No. Okay? So for all these kind of different faith that has infiltrated the church, these are the things that we need to ask of ourselves. Is this... Is that that kind of fuzzy, speaking-only, knowing-only kind of faith, my faith? It shouldn't be. It should be the commitment biblical faith that we've been talking about, a faith that produces works. It manifests in our lives, okay? And I've gone long. I told the worship team that I was going to give them five minutes, and I didn't. This is one of the few times that I've done that, so I apologize for that. But um, let's consider this congregation as we go to the Lord in prayer. So if we could all rise, I'll, I'll close us in our in our benediction this morning. I apologize for that. I needed to pace myself, but I just you know. All right, let's let's go to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you for. The admonition from James this morning, help us to consider our faith before you, that indeed that there is a connection between our faith and the way that we think about life and ultimately live it. And so we pray that we would live our lives for you, not just say that we believe in you, but that we would really uh, consider the very things that we do before you and that it does matter to you. So help us to consider these things as we go from here. We thank you for the privilege of being your child. um, And uh, we give all these things unto you in Jesus' name.